I try to see the writing on the wall when it comes to YouTube. They've always been good to us, but the bottom line is that, you know, for every dollar that you that they that goes into that ecosystem, they make 55, you know, or 45 cents and you make 55, and that's that's great, but it has very specific limitations on what you can make. Um, and that's just the way that it is. Now, if you can find success within that ecosystem, great. It's incredibly hard to do. Um, I wish you best of luck. We're still trying to figure it out. But also, it, it left, as, as, as creators, it left something to be desired. It was like, well, man, you know, we've got this idea for this. We've got this idea for that. And we realized, hey, look, we have, between the two channels, we've got over 10 million, 15 million subscribers. If we can convert a half of 1% of those people to be willing to pay us four bucks a month, then it will literally be the same monetary value to the company as if we have an entire other channel that also has 6 million subscribers. Watching 5,000 videos of ours online is the same as just paying us one month of a subscription. And that that significant- That 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 blows my mind. It's true, yeah. It's so incredible. one viewer needs to view 5,000 videos in order to make you the $4 a month from that, from that individual. Right. Oh, my and goodness. And so what that allows us to do then is not just, you know, take money home. It's to say, hey, now we have this entire other revenue stream that's wholly independent and we can utilize to tell these other stories that probably wouldn't perform well within the YouTube ecosystem. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your host, Ricky Ray Butler. Ricky. Hello. Welcome Hello. to Creative Disruption. Jake, I got to finish my intro before you chime oh, in. Oh, sorry. All right. <laughs> my bad. I'm your host, Ricky Ray Butler, getting interrupted by another guest, <laughs> Jake Watson uh, from Corridor Digital. We're lucky to have Corridor, Digi- Corridor Digital again. I... I'm really good friends with the whole crew and with Jake, and we've worked together for almost a decade now, I think, across a a variety of different projects. But Jake, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to be back. Uh, It's been years, and uh, you know, we we caught up the other day on some things, and man, I'm really glad to, to be back on here with you and to catch up and to get into all the new things that have uh, developed and changed and evolved since, since I was last on. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about talking about um, some of the new trends in media and with technology um, yeah. from AI to the metaverse, to decentralization of platforms as, yeah. as well as web three. I'm, I'm excited to talk about all of it today. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I, w- I want to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the metaverse and all the hype that surrounds it? Oh man, we're going straight into metaverse. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I mean, look, it's it's there's some fun to it, you know. I can see why like people, but I can also see why people like are so memey about it, you know, with like, hey, like, let's poke a little fun at this, like, let's because I, I think there's two like types of well, there's two types of crowds with it, right? There's there's people who are like no, this is it, right? This is it. Like I'm going to, and then there's the people who are like, look, can, can we all just agree? Like people probably don't want to live the majority of their life with a headset on, <laughs> um, you know, I know what you're talking about. I mean, you, know, <laughs> Yo, you got one right there. 
Um, but look, I mean, we've played around with uh, VR and virtual production and, and and all that stuff just as much as 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 anybody else. Um, and I can see, uh, the, like the general goal, right? Like it, as it always has been. As remember when the sort of like VR 3.0 came along in 2013, 2014, right? And and it was like the third attempt at making virtual reality is a, a legitimate and, and mm-hmm. viable industry. And uh, it, it didn't die. Mm-hmm. So that's good, right? It's like there's there's enough legs there where um, now people are like, okay, let's, let's try to connect this all. Because as it started, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if you remember those. I mean, sure you do. But like, man, it was so chaotic. It was like a, everything was was split. And now this is just at least one company's attempt to to try to bring it together a little bit, which, you know, that'll help stabilize it, which is good. Sure. Well, you know, I I think you provide a lot of credibility here because you co-founded a very successful gaming gaming publishing company that was focused around VR. I'm in addition to, you know, getting 50 million views a month on on Corridor Digital with a total (laughs) of 2 billion views and 15 million subscribers across your, your different channels. Um, you're a very busy person, but that's, this is an area that you dabbled into. Um, you, are you still focused on, on this VR gaming company that you started? And, and, and tell me the name of the company again. And, and, and the, yeah, uh, yeah, no problem. So, um, so it was in 2013 and uh, my friend Brandon Lash and uh, a buddy of ours, Alex Knoll, had gotten together and said, hey, um, you know, and this is Brandon Lash that was the co-founder of Rocket Jump, right? Yeah, co-founder of the Freddie W. W channel. Yeah, and oh, then right. when when Freddie went off and created Rocket Jump, him and Brandon split, and then mm-hmm. the next thing that Brandon did was create Stress Level Zero, uh, which All is right. the the video game company. Now we didn't necessarily start as, hey, we're gonna do VR. We're just gonna do VR. That's mm-hmm. the focus. We knew that we had the ability to make some games and we knew that we had the ability to distribute them and make videos around them. So we said, well, let's give it a shot. And then as VR, that market really started to actually become viable. Brandon and Alex, man, they went in on it because it was kind of their chance to do something like unique. Um, the, the position that we were in at the time was like, we, and, and that VR for a lot of indie developers were in was like, Hey, this is a chance to do something new and to truly, the thing was in Brandon, I credit Brandon for this utilizing that format for its own purpose. And not cause this happened with YouTube and this happened with VR too. Um, when VR came out, it was a lot of people were just applying the traditional like mindset to it, you know, like, well, how do we make a game? And then just put it in VR, mm-hmm. not not how do you make a VR game, and how is that different from a traditional game? What can you do in VR that you cannot do in a traditional mm-hmm. game? And how are you utilizing this? How do things feel when you pick them up? What's what's gravity like? What's your what's the world around you? All these things that are more visceral in VR. How do you program and implement? a gaming type and a structure around that rather than just being like, yeah, so you run up here, you pick up this gun, you shoot at the bad guys, end of mm-hmm. story, you know? So, and that's what bone works really like the, 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 it was the third game that stress level zero came out with, but that, that one to me, like really 
found that formula. Um, and of course, they're working on new ones now. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them or not, so I won't. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're still going. I exited that company in, 2020, in 2019, 2020, mm -hmm. um, because like Corridor just, you know, exploded. <laughs> yeah, like it was, it was crazy. When, when Brandon and, and, and Alex and I started Stress Level, um, you know, Corridor was great. I was full time with them too, but I, I had a little bit of extra time, you know? And, and so I was like, oh man, like this will be a fun chance to do something really new. And like, mm -hmm. and, and it was, but man, as, as things sort of took off with Corridor 20, you know, 2018, 2019, um, it's just, I realized there was no way that I could do both. So I had to, I had to pick one. Um, <laughs> so I picked, I picked the one that I knew most about and the one that I felt like was most closest to my heart. Well, and, and you were the brainchild behind the, the corridor crew channel, which has just exploded in addition yeah. to your, your live action channel. Yeah. We, so we, narrative we, channel. Yeah. I'll give a little background here. Cause maybe mm -hmm. it's, I'm, I'm like moving at a hundred miles an hour right now. So, so while I was doing all of that with, with Brandon and with Alex mm -hmm. and, you know, that was 2014, 2015, yada, yada. Um, prior to that in, in 2011, mm -hmm. I joined up with Sam Gorski and Nico Perringer from Corridor Digital, um, who were just, it was just those two at the time. And that, and you, yeah. that's how we met. Cause you were right. the first guy that was bringing us like deals on how to, you know, here's a brand integration. What's a brand integration? I don't know. Do you know what it is? I don't know. <laughs> That's like, you know, that was, but, but you saw the vision in it and how it could be, you know, taken into a legitimate format. And that's what I was saying about how people treated VR. Same people treated YouTube the same way. They said, what is that? Is that TV? Is that a movie? Is that, right. it, it was, no, it's, it's, it's YouTube. And right. now. Uh, well, early on. I used to say, like back in like 2008, 2009, that YouTube was and YouTubers were going to be the future of TV and TV channels mm -hmm. and, and, and content. And what's so interesting, it's its its, it's own animal, yeah. but it's actually bigger than TV. You know, oh, you so have Netflix yeah. that's, you know, in the US, bigger than the top five cable networks combined. Well, you know, Amazon Prime is there as well. But they're both just small fractions of, of the size and viewership of YouTube. And 82% of the viewership on YouTube are from creators. And if you just think about that and compare it to TV, and this is not including ByteDance or TikTok or, right. or Instagram or the other meta properties. This is just YouTube. And it's, it's a giant compared to all of TV combined and streaming platforms. Right. And, and you, I think you were one of the first people who saw that possibility with it. And, um, and, and we, you know, we, we were just kids at the time. We were like, look, we, we saw that too, <laughs> but no one, you know, I think at that time we weren't quite able to conceptualize like the impact and, you know, I, I'm not trying to, uh, sugarcoat YouTube here. I mean, it, just like any huge tech company, there are, there are things, right? But they've done an incredible job of keeping creators on the platform, making it as open as they possibly can to as many people, and then continuing that over time. And I don't 
think people and the average, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, I was shadow banned or, oh, I tried YouTube and it was impossible or, oh, it's oversaturated, y- yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. The thing is, is I don't think people really realize how hard it is to do what they've done. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, there's, you got your TikToks, you got your Instagrams, you know, you got your other platforms, but no one's been able to quite monetize it like YouTube has and to create the consistency and the quality of shows that are coming out on that platform. No one's been able to do that. Well, it seems like everything in the creator economy at one point or another is pointing at YouTube. It's continuing to grow. Um, they have the best rev share and compensation. I mean, rev share model with creators and being right. able to monetize their content um, in a much more turnkey way where, you know, you have all these funds at all these other platforms. And right now it's really cute, but the truth is um, it's not making a lot of creators, a lot of money. Yeah. And they can't, you know, sustain their lives and their careers with that. And until these other platforms where, you know, TikTok is very interesting to me because when it comes to discoverability, and when it comes to searchability, you know, that's probably YouTube's biggest competitor. However, right. um, creators are not monetizing there yet. And, and of course, if you look at Douyin um, in China, there's going to probably be things that have been very successful over there with live streaming and, sh- and, 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 sh- and live shoppable content that will probably be applied over here. Yeah. But when it comes down to like sharing re- ad revenue, no one else holds a candle to YouTube. And, and you're right. It's difficult. They're the... Um, world's largest or second largest search engine. Um, yeah. They're the place where people go to, you know, learn things, but also it's a place where creators are empowered to make money. Right. Yeah. So, so that, um, you know, to take it back to your initial comment about the corridor crew channel like that. So that was why we did that. Um, not just because it, you know, was a better model revenue model for YouTube, but, but mm-hmm. also that it fit, the the whole ecosystem better um so you know so just to go back to the origin story here 2012 you know sam nico myself we're out there we're making viral short films this is this was pre you know this is when you could game the youtube homepage this is when things on youtube got shared on email lists and on facebook and on like <laughs> you know reddit and like things weren't so p- insular when it came to mm-hmm. each individual platform it was like oh yeah a viral video would truly be viral across multiple different platforms um mm-hmm. and and that was interesting and then obviously like everybody else saw the potential of that so then they started going oh well we let's just make that go viral on our platform you know and, and we'll have our own thing um so that's happened uh but that was that was where we were at 20, 2011, 2012, all the way up until about 2015. And and that and in 2014, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. YouTube shifted from a view-based revenue model to a minutes-based revenue model, which was mm-hmm. very smart uh, for the overall health of the platform, but was very hard for Corridor Digital because mm-hmm. we specialized in making two to three minute, like, viral no context here's just some crazy story with a bunch of images like slapped together you've never seen anything <laughs> like this before a lot of it was focused around gaming and oh man content come to life it was amazing yeah i remember my first time coming across corridor digital i was like whoa this this is i mean there's nothing else out there like this yeah, we, I mean, we, uh, you know, and this is credit to Sam and Nico being the mm-hmm. creative guys they are to sort of 
go with something they were passionate about and be sort of ahead of the curve enough uh, with their technical abilities to be able to do some of the first live action video game type stuff on the internet, um, which is crazy to think about now. At the time, it didn't seem like anything special. Um, but looking back on it, it was like, yeah, we did the first between us and Freddie and a handful of handful of others. I mean, like five <laughs> other channels, maybe we were doing the first video game in real life, anything, you know? Um, and so people really liked that and it worked out great for a number of years and we were able to make, you know, a living at it as tw- as mid 20 somethings, uh, mm-hmm. And, and then, but I saw the shift in the wind, you know, a shift in Mm -hmm. the wind foretells a change in the weather. And I saw that in 2014, I I was like, oh man, this is, this is really going to affect us in the long run. Um, and, and my thought was like, if we just keep doing these types of videos in two and a half years, three years, we're going to be bankrupt. It doesn't matter how many (laughs) views they get. I, I was I, like, I was sure. And, and sure enough, you know, we, we would have, and, and corridor still gets the same revenue. It still brings in the same revenue today that it did then that channel, mm-hmm. but that's only because the revenue has increased on the platform. Not because, you know, like that model is successful. It was successful at capturing viewership, but then turning it into long-term viewers fans of the channel, that sort of thing. It didn't do anything like that. And and so because of the shift of what, you know, what changed on YouTube and how they changed their algorithms to, you know, provide new incentives, um, that's the, what opened the door to the corridor crew channel, which now has over 5 million subscribers, correct? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's at five and a half, um, corridor, the original ones at nine and a half. So hopefully we'll get that diamond button, uh, within the next 12 months. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, we said, Hey, what can, what can we do that can not only continue to allow us? Cause our whole focus wasn't just on like, Hey, let's make viral videos. You know, our, our focus was on let's utilize technology, software and hardware technology to allow us to make to go for from from things to go from idea to within four frames or within four corners of a frame as quickly and efficiently as possible. How how do we do that? Hmm. Uh, because you know it's like hey I I see this idea in my head it looks like this it feels like this you know it's shot like this. How do you do that? Well, the more technology you have at your disposal and the more you understand what it can give you, the quicker you can get from point A to point B. Um, and so we didn't want to lose that about it, but we knew that if we just kept making viral videos, the problems with it was zero, not zero, but like significantly less fan retention. And, and I'm talking about returning viewership, significantly less minutes watched. Right. And then maybe somebody saw your video somewhere but they don't, they don't know who you are. You know, they don't know what you're, they're not, they're not like, oh yes, that was by those guys because I saw this and because I saw that. So, so you're doing all this work. You're working five times harder than everybody else because you have to produce more videos in a shorter amount of time. They have to be more visually striking and all that stuff. And, and you're working against yourself. Like for every Mm -hmm. video that you produce, you're, you're doing 
five times more work. It's it's 10 times more work to do a, a short film than it is to do a vlog. I would say a hundred times more in a lot of circumstances. And and yet what you're getting out of it as a production business, as a company, is like you're taking steps backwards. And I just saw well, this Well, it would look like a Hollywood production. I mean, yeah. I, I've been on a lot of different sets and a lot of different productions. And seeing you all in action is to the exact same caliber, especially when you're you know, doing one of those live action scenes. And, yeah. And we yeah. love doing stuff like that, by the way. We're, we're still doing stuff like that. We're just, we're just, we have to be very specific with when and how we do it because it's a mm-hmm. lot more expensive to do things that way. But I'll get to that in the, in, in mm-hmm. the chronology, in the chronology <laughs> of this, I'll get to that. Yeah. So, so anyway, Corridor Crew, um, we saw it and, you know, so we had these two guys, Ren, mm-hmm. who most people who know Corridor Digital, I'm sure know. Um, and then, uh, this guy, Carmichael and, and I was, Ren was, you know, sort of co-creator, co-collaborator and, and Carmichael was there to shoot and edit, you know, like whatever we were working on BTS stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there one day in the studio and I'm watching them just talk. Right. And they're joking about something and they're like, you know, as my producer brain, I was like, these guys are wasting time, you know, (laughs) and I'm sitting there watching them and I'm like, wait a minute. So, so, so everyone just understands like these nuances here. Jake, you know, is like the is like the head producer of all the content with Corridor Digital. You know, yeah. you're also one of the owners of Corridor Digital. Yeah. And when I've worked with all of you, you're the one that's down to business. You're very focused, <laughs> and you make sure that we're all hitting our deadlines. And yes. and and you're you're whipping everyone into shape, and so this this is awesome to hear this story from your perspective. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> on set, I'm the assistant director, who's you know sort of like the the shit the crew manager, and, and in production, <laughs> I'm you know I'm the head of production. So I'm sitting there watching these guys, thinking like, man, how much money are they wasting by how much they talk and screw off every day? And then I thought, wait a minute, Carmichael's here to shoot and edit videos. Why doesn't he just shoot and edit? the stupid fun stuff we do and the problems that we have in our creative journey. And, and, and we make a story about that that goes alongside the regular videos that we're already making. Mm-hmm. And that was how the vlog started. It, it was, it was, well, look, we we're making a video. It's called real GTA. You know, it's a viral video. We, we had a third person camera rig. Sam followed me around to Los Angeles and we it was it was set up to look just like GTA 5. The video went super viral. It's got like 75 million views. I don't know how many <laughs> at this point. But then all we were doing was releasing just that video. And then what we started doing was documenting like, okay, we're in the middle of post-production on this video. Or we're in the middle mm-hmm. of pre-production on this video. We got to get a car. Who, where are we going to get a car from? Okay, we got to do this type of stunt. Okay, we're going to film at the Griffith Observatory with no permits. What's that going to be like? You know, like... Mm-hmm. How do we do all that? And then in the middle of it all was kind of this overarching narrative of just like us as creators and what that was like. And I realized how it didn't seem unique to us at the time, but I realized how unique it was. It was like this small batch production house in the middle of Los Angeles, like in this sort of grimy neighborhood, like trying to pump out viral videos and make a living at it. (laughs) Um, And people, you know, the first episodes like, in terms of what we get now, like abysmal views, 30,000 views, you know, 40,000 views. I remember when we got 60,000 views on two episodes in a row and we were, we were jumping for joy. 
Um, and, and then, uh, we had this bet with Carmichael where we're like, okay, we'll, he's like, we need a new camera guys. He was filming with this old camera that he had busted the lens on it and he couldn't even, he couldn't even rack it to mm-hmm. adjust the focus or to adjust the, the lens length. So he was, everything was in the same focal length and, and everything like that. So we're like, okay, if you get a hundred thousand views, two videos in a row, we'll buy you a new camera. And so that was, that became the challenge. <laughs> and then we, we made that as part of the story, you know, as part of the story of like what we were doing and how we were doing it. Um, and it was just a lot of small learning experiments over the years. And I look at some of the thumbnails and some of the marketing that we had back then and some of the way that the stories were cut and we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we had a, we had a base knowledge, but you know, we, we would never do some of that stuff now. And some of that's endearing and charming to look back on it, you know, but only because we improved it over time. Um, so it started as like a BTS, like behind the scenes channel vlog, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. you've started series since then. Yeah. Uh, where people like um, um, Seth Rogen has come on as like, you know, a guest to comment on content. Correct. Right. It's been wild. I mean, to, to, to even compare it to what it was in 2016 to what it is now in 2022 is like, you know, it's just not fair. Um, it was called the Sam and Nico show or the Sam and Nico vlog, because again, the focus was just pretty much on that, on those two. But as we got better at it and that was the other thing we realized was like, yo, look at the difference in monetization. We get paid seven dollars where we get used to get paid three and it and and we can do we can do a brand integration here when before that ricky and i would have fought about that for you know two weeks <laughs> about this talking point now i'll just throw it in there you know um well i remember having that conversation actually at the sundance film festival yeah when you're talking about monetizing corridor crew versus corridor digital yes and i told you i said it will be way easier and we will not, I mean, we will not have to go as much back and forth, you know, uh, with right. advertisers or brands on creative because, um, you, you, you pump out a lot and, and, um, it's a lot less risky, um, in, in, um, when it comes to requests, et cetera. Exactly. It just fits the format better. Um, you know, cause you're not trying to do this isolated hundred million view out of context viral video that somebody is so-and-so sent you and you have no idea who made it or where it came from. Now it's a show. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was, it. you know, in terms of revenue, it was just like, whoa, all of a sudden we can put a little bit money into this idea that we didn't have before. We have a little bit more leeway to do this. We can hire this extra person that we needed to do this. All those things and, started happening. And, it, it, and I would probably argue with, with most brands it'd probably give them a better ROI. And right. because you have an audience that maybe you don't have as many subscribers, but you have a lot more consistency. And I'd I'd probably argue that you have a lot more loyalty because it's all created around you and all of your personalities. hundred percent. And, and that was, that's the other thing is it's not about like, you know, trying to just get, Hey, let's just get uh, a high dollar amount for a brand integration. And then, you know, whatever it's like, how much better is it when you have a brand that loves what you're doing and can return and gets that good ROI that's good for them? And then, they, you know, they're not all in your in your sauce trying to mess with the mix. It's just like, hey, look, these guys work. We get a great ROI. Mm-hmm. This is the price. We're good. It's good for us. It's good for them. It helps our show keep going. They get sales out of it and everyone wins. Um, yeah. Viral videos are way more risky when it comes to ROI. Oh, Yeah. 
I mean, you don't even know when tens it's going to views. There's a good chance there's not as much impact as, you know, a, a vlog with a couple hundred thousand views. Right, exactly. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. We had this one. Our most viral video ever is called uh, Primitive Technology Crafting a Zombie Meat Harvester. And <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a brand integration um, for a mobile game, but uh, it's very lightly branded. And that video went viral in um, like uh, Southeast Asia. And it, but because the, the CPMs are so much lower there, mm -hmm. it, it's like this video has a hundred and I think 68 million views on YouTube. Wow. And it's an eight minute video. And it's, it's, it's lifetime total AdSense made is $35,000. <laughs> <laughs> Which wow. is like, you know, $35,000 is nothing to sneeze at. But when you compare it to like 168 million views on yeah. the most monetizable platform on in social media, and that's all it's bringing in. It's like, whoa, that gives you an idea of what we were setting ourselves up against. So well, often. thank goodness. Thank goodness. It was a brand deal, right? Right, right. Because we've never been able to make it in the first place if we didn't have a brand behind it. Um, it would have been so, way too expensive with little return. Right. And again, yeah. you're right. $35,000 is a lot of money. But just for the, for the audience and those tuning in, you know, some of these videos cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. You have Mr. Right. Beast that spent over $4 million on the Squid Games video. And, and so... It, mm -hmm. it, it's very expensive to have, you know, very high quality productions and, and, and having a lot of people coming on and helping with the set, et cetera. Yeah, we're doing for for reference there. We're doing a quick um, like four part uh, series um, that's going to get released later this year. And when we went into it, I was like, oh, what's this going to cost? It's like, um, man, you know, we could probably do it for like 50,000, 60,000. And, and now it's like, 125,000. That's, uh -huh. that's what it's going to cost. And, you know, and we're only halfway through shooting it, not to mention we got to go through posts and all that stuff too. So, you know, things can get very expensive very quickly, especially if you're working with guys who are operating and functioning at the top of their creative career and the creative capacity, whatever it might be. Um, well, anyway. yeah, thanks for going into that. That, that, that. I mean, thanks for the transparency and candor of um, like, production costs, et cetera. Um, yeah. I, I don't think probably a lot of your viewers realize like what goes into this um, and, and most of, you know, YouTube viewers out there um, today. Um, you know, I wanted to um, go back to a little bit back to the metaverse topic. Yeah. I want to stress test some things by you on, on what you think is hype <laughs> versus real. Okay. And well, just, you know, let so, me disclaimer this. I don't, I'm not like a deep metaverse guy, but I'll do my best. <laughs> To, to answer yeah, what I can. Well, look, I, I like to make you sweat and like, you know, throw your curveballs. <laughs> so let's, let's see how you do here. All right, let's so, do it. Jake, what are your thoughts on real estate in the metaverse? I know your background is like yeah. VR and VR gaming, publishing, et cetera. Right. Um, when it comes to this world, but there's um, a lot of predictions that this is going to be a way for people to really connect and engage with each other on a whole other level virtually. Right. Um, but I personally think there's a lot of things that are exciting yeah. and it's, it's all going to be consumer led. And that's something that I think people forget. Yeah. I get really nervous when there's a lot of theories out there 
and that there's a bunch of brand executives way more excited than actual, you know, users or consumers about right. what the future will bring with the metaverse. And I think um, Zuckerberg probably brought a lot of false confidence to, you know, many people on what to expect just because of the resources Meta or Facebook, you know, have right. um, to, to invest in this category. But um, there's certain things where I'm like, okay, this is going to be exciting. But yeah. then there's other things that I feel like um, sound like snake oil or full of hype. And when I see on LinkedIn people saying that they're metaverse experts, I hide my freaking wallet. <laughs> because right, this is right. just a vicious cycle that just keeps happening. Whenever there's a new topic or a new trend, there's yeah. always people jumping in and trying to monetize it when they have this very shallow understanding with what's actually happening. And so... My question to you, what are your thoughts on people buying and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on metaverse real estate? Well, I mean, this has been, this is older than the gold rush. You know, this, this sort of like, <laughs> this is America. Like that is, that is how we've built this country, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but that is that idea of like, hey, there's something here. There's something that might be here. There's, there's potential value of a great potential value. And then you get people from all walks of life, all corners of the globe, <laughs> right? Like that, that is like how it works. And, and that was the same thing with VR. We're seeing the same thing now with the metaverse. Um, it, well, my, maybe there is an opportunity for people to have no entertainment or media or content experience to come in and see that the you know, game is leveled a little bit. Yeah, and there'll be a niche for everybody. I think yeah. you know, and just as 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 tech as digital technology specifically evolves, like there'll be a niche for everybody, um, depending on where and what it is. I think for sure. Now, is it as hyped as is the hype? You know, is right now. Like, no. Let's let's be real. But my my producer brain says, mm -hmm. okay, if buying your specific question, buying real estate in the metaverse to me it's like well how much are you getting and how cheap are you getting it for you know mm -hmm. and, and those are the really the only two questions that matter because if even if you have no interest in it if you can get enough of it for cheap enough then just like any real estate like it had it will have some value somewhere to somebody now mm -hmm. i think a lot of people what's what's happening what's happening on like the oh you know you hear these stories somebody paid x amount for this fake real estate snoop dogs buying real estate in the metaverse what do we do you know <laughs> like what what is that really i mean last year at this exact same time it was nfts mm -hmm. it was it was nfts it was like yo these are gonna be the thing these are gonna change the way that creators create forever you know and look what was it you had this cryptocurrency explosion that that began you know late 2020 because the pandemic hit and everyone was like, oh, what, what do we let's invest in crypto? Because that's digital currency. That'll be valuable. And then it was like, you know, it took off. Frickin Ethereum hit forty five hundred and mm -hmm. all, all this crazy stuff. And then, you know, it came back down um, and it's sort of leveled out since then. Uh, but what happened is a lot of people that didn't have uh a lot of money before became very rich with cryptocurrency. Um, mm -hmm. Like even if you didn't even, even if it was like, yo, somebody told me, my brother's friend told me about this. I bought, you know, a thousand dollars worth of ADA 
uh, when it was 52 cents and well, it's almost back down there now, but you know, and I sold it when it was, <laughs> I sold it when it was at $3. Whoa, my God, you know, amazing. What do I do with this now? It's like, well, I might as well just take the next bet. So I'll take the NFT bet. I'll take the metaverse real estate bet. I, I do think that there is a significant portion of that market that's actually purchasing those things. That is that. And, and I think there's a, there's a sliding scale of how far you get from, from that um, and, and new money coming in and, and people that might be interested in the technology from another angle. But um, yeah, I mean, buyer beware, my friend, you know, like yeah. that is what it is. Uh, if you feel emotionally super excited about putting your money into something and, and there's limited data or um, limited modeling, you just really want to just take a double take and like, you know, really look into that and make sure that you know what you're doing um, yeah. or hold back. And if it's something that's very valuable, it, it's going to stabilize and continue to grow over time. Uh, right. it, so for me, you know, when it comes to the metaverse real estate, I, I am not bullish on that. Um, I, I think. I never know what you're going to be bullish on, Ricky. That's what I love about you. <laughs> hey, I I got into blockchain and crypto early on. I was very lucky to have a great return on all that. But yeah, um, I, I made a lot of mistakes in that area too. And I would I'd be the first one to say that I am not an expert yeah. in investing <laughs> yeah. in these new Me technologies. Neither. I've been very lucky, and you know, you know, I I, I you know I, I call it what it is. Yeah. Now. Um, my whole issue with all this hype around the metaverse is that a, a lot of people seem to just have very surface level understanding on yeah. what it is. Yeah. And a also lot of it's true. based on theories yeah. and, and people feeling futuristic. And the truth is, um, Minecraft figured this out a long time ago. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think you can say that Minecraft is a game within the metaverse, that Roblox, um, you could call that metaverse, um, mm -hmm. Fortnite. And, and, and this is something that's been happening for years when it comes to gaming. And, yeah. and so one thing that I'm bullish in is that gaming will become easier and VR will be become less clunky. I know I pulled these up earlier, you know, yeah. uh, my, my Oculus. Mm -hmm. Oculus is great. It has a great design. But you know yeah. what? It's still too clunky for me. Hmm. One day you'll have a smaller pair of glasses, maybe like a really small um, earpiece like this one, yeah. um, um, you know, AirPod Pro. And you put your phone in the middle of the room and you empty out the room and you can like play a live action game or sport with your friends around the world. And, yeah. and, I, and, I, and that is obviously going to come. It's going to become much easier and much more less much less experience for consumers to buy into and engage with yeah. um is it going to be the future of dating is it going to be the future of relationships i sure hope not um <laughs> i think as humans we really benefit yeah. from a variety of senses not just you know visual and audio right and, and 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 i have hope for humanity that you know we can return back to nature and and enjoy other aspects of life rather than just entertainment right. but it is a, going to be a big part of our future, but there's a lot of hype. And, you know, where I make decisions is usually based off of data and based off of what's the distribution, how yeah. many users are using it. Um, mm -hmm. Is it something right. that Those is are the core. friendly? Yeah. That's the core of it. And that was the thing we ran into with VR as well. It was like, well, you know, we have X amount of attachment rate to, to all headsets out there, but how many set headsets are out there? Because like when you're projecting out how much you can do with the revenue 
for the company, it's like, well, if there's only uh, 2 million headsets, mm-hmm. then even at a hundred percent attachment rate, what is your, what is the max amount of money that you could possibly make with this product? And, and if you're like betting way beyond that, it's like, whoa, you, you might want to, you know, you might want to look at that because that's fundamental data that's going to affect the overall market. And, and I agree with you, like there is, that's why I don't want to dog it too hard. Right. Because yeah. there is some, there is some intangible and I think inherent value that will become tangible, um, in that. Um, and, and, you know, but I think it's a lot like just more of the evolution of the internet than it is like something else entirely. Like you think about, you think about the way that the internet was spoken of and perceived 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was this other thing, right? You you remember when you had to go on and you had to type WWW. I mean, we still know (laughs) how to do it inherently. Right. But why was it like, why was it that we had to describe the URL with such like specificity? Mm-hmm. Because we didn't, it was this other thing that existed almost outside of your life. It's like, no, I don't live in a car. I get in a car and then I'm on the road, you know, but, but what it's become now is, you know, we, we are using internet right now. You know, we use it in mm-hmm. our phones and our watches and our applications. We use it in when we book our hairdressing or, our, you know, like our barber appointments or when we mm-hmm. b- check our kids in at school or when we make a purchase for something that we need. We don't even think about the actual Internet functioning in those ways, you know, and I think. You know, and this is me obviously speculating, but like mm-hmm. as technology specifically hardware technology gets better allowing that much data to be piped into different hardware devices that quickly and efficiently which has always been the limitation i mean that was the limitation with early video Mm -hmm. the better that those those data pipes get and the more efficient that those devices get at receiving that data like the the more viable it'll be to be like oh yeah i've got this cool little hold on let me put this my little headset on here and uh, there's a little there's a little game or there's a little environment that's already created that has a little community and economy around it so let's just do this thing over here and then i'm you know i'm gonna do this thing over here just like we would do when we pull up an application on our phone Mm -hmm. um i think that's probably a more realistic eventual outcome no, I think when it comes to film and when it comes to games, like it, it, it's going to have so many benefits. And also when connecting with people, it, it will level up the virtual experience of, of building relationships and engaging and communicating. Yeah. Um, I, it will also open up the gateways of different ways of gathering data around humans to better customize their experience. Yeah. You know, I would say there's limitations with how we consume um, TV or series or um, social media content. There's limitation. Yeah, I mean, Nielsen when it comes to right? biodata, but there will be one yeah. day where you have a headpiece on. You, I mean, it's monitoring your 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 your, your heart rate. It's monitoring your your brain waves, and it's going to see if you like the content or not, and evolve it based on what you like. That sounds very dystopian to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to be honest, <laughs> I, I personally don't want that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of those things that can be really scary. But it's one of those things where you know, we want to be entertained. Yeah. We want to have a better experience. And yes. of course, it'd be extremely unethical to do it without permission or without, you know, letting people know that they're, you know, offing in or opting in. Yeah. Um, but I think that is going to be 
a new frontier of entertainment where the entertainment, whether, you know, it's, it, it's, it's visual or, you know, animation or film or, or a game mm-hmm. will evolve to how you're reacting to and, and, and based on what you want out of it. No, and you're right. And, and, and I think the, the reason that's like sort of gut check scary to me and right. a lot of other people, but I think as a, as a content creator, my and as a you know a producer my ultimate responsibility and role in that world is to find a way to tell stories that mm-hmm. still have meaning and aren't just you know hey we saw you liked this so we gave you another dopamine hit of the same thing and to just keep you in the game for longer you know like that to me has always been a drawback of big tech and social media Mm-hmm. is that it's it's all about it's 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 all about that final result you know like how do we keep people here longer how do we sure. suck more life out of them and i feel like and one of my privacy job, issues too yeah right I mean, you, you know how government's making a lot of this stuff that meta's doing and, and a digital marketers doing where you know they cross privacy lines there's a lot of boundaries right. being crossed that are not okay that people don't know about and there's policies you know being written up against you know that that, that, that type of targeting. Yeah. However, as I mentioned earlier, we want to be entertained. And so maybe right. that means is going to a platform or a content creator that you trust, you know, giving more access into your life or into your data. Right. Um, because you trust that it's a community or it's, or, or, or it's, it's a platform or content that has your best interest in mind and you want to be much more connected to. And so I think that actually sort of, I want to talk about NFTs in a little bit as well because yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you're very humble, Jake, and you're one of you know you and Nico and Sam are people that are creators that have been in it for a long time. That I also really respect your your, your business acumen, oh, and you've all made good investments and you've been successful not just you know with you know VR gaming you know which is you know a part of the the metaverse, but also when yeah. it comes to NFTs. And, 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 and so we'll talk more about that and your friend Beeple um, yeah. as well, um, <laughs> yeah. um, which I know you, you have done co-launch of, of content together, but yeah. um, I want to first talk about the Corridor Digital Platform. Yeah. So many that are listening know that I, you know, one of the projects that I have ownership in is called The Chosen, which has been a very yeah. successful faith-based series that you know, has broken a lot of records when it comes to crowdfunding, but yeah. also when it comes to viewership of, of a can of, of, of a series that has its own platform. Yeah. And, um, I personally think right now we're seeing the tip of the iceberg of this happening at a much more accelerated rate. Going back to the metaverse, I don't think meta or Facebook is going to own this world. Um, you're going to have hardware companies that come into play and you're going to have creators that are going to figure out how to do this on their own right. when it comes to their own platforms. And so yeah. I think we're now seeing at the very beginning stages of this, we're, we're seeing the pioneers um, rise on who's like really paving the way. And I would say um, you and Corridor Digital are, are one of those creators and companies that have figured this out. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Corridor.com and yeah. you know, what impact that has made for you and your users? And then how well does it monetize compared to what you do on YouTube or other platforms? Yeah, thank you for uh, giving me a chance to talk about it. I mean, it is, uh, I think it's something we don't quite, get out there enough. Uh, so two years ago, we started creating this little platform called CorridorDigital.com. And it was like, hey, this this guy hit us up and said, hey, I'm a 
you know, an SVOD developer, like, why don't you guys have your own platform? And I said, well, you know, it's, they're incredibly expensive to create. Um, and you know, we're just quite, not quite situated. And he's like, and I was like, do you know how and, to build and one? thing one? to note here, a yeah. couple of years ago when you, Sam and Nico were all on here, you were talking about doomsday scenarios and on figuring and trying to, you're, I think at that time you're brainstorming on what you should do to make sure if, if something horrible happens, how you can stay engaged can with still your make videos, yeah. and still make videos. Mm -hmm. So yep. I'm assuming this yeah goes into that direction. Oh, totally. It's, it was like, you know, we, we, I try to see the writing on the wall when it comes to YouTube. They've always been good to us, but the bottom line is that, you know, for every dollar that you, that they, that goes into that ecosystem, they make 55, you know, or 45 cents and you make 55. And that's, that's great, but it has very specific limitations on what you can make. Um, and that's just the way that it is. Now, if you can find success within that ecosystem, great. It's incredibly hard to do. Um, I wish you best of luck. We're still trying to figure it out. But also it, it left as, as, as creators, it left something to be desired. It was like, well, man, you know, we've got this idea for this. We've got this idea for that. And we realized, hey, look, we have between the two channels, we've got over 10 million, 15 million subscribers. If we can convert a half of 1% of those people to be willing to pay us four bucks a month, then it will literally be the same monetary value to the company as if we have an entire other channel that also has 6 million subscribers. Mm. And, 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 you know, it, it, like pay, paying wow, us. That's, that's amazing. And so did it turn out, you know, be, being the case? Yeah. I mean, you had, you know, we had to spend more money obviously to maintain the site, to produce new content for the site, all that stuff, you know? So, but it's the, the, the basic monetary idea is, Hey, watching 5,000 videos of ours online is the same as just paying us one month of a subscription. Wow. And that, that significant, wow. that, yeah, that, that it, blows my mind. It's true. Yeah. It's so incredible. One viewer needs to view 5,000 videos or, you know, you know, I mean, in order to make you the $4 a month from that, from that individual. Right. Oh my goodness. And so what that allows us to do then is not just, you know, take money home. It's to say, hey, now we have this entire other revenue stream that's wholly independent and we can utilize to tell these other stories that probably wouldn't perform well within the YouTube ecosystem. Like Son of a Dungeon, correct? Yes, exactly. Like this in in so this this show, you know, the first season, we thought it was gonna cost us like $25,000 to make the first season. It ended up being like 150,000. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, it just was like, but the thing was, man, it was so like freeing for us to, to just do this wholly new format. I mean, I know the guys had done D and D shows on node in the past. Mm -hmm. They'd done two or three of them, but, to like really dive in and then to dive in with costumes and then to, 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 to shoot, we shot four days. We had 24 hours of raw footage. We cut it down to eight hours to then mm. take it and then do visual effects to do music, to do prop designs, to do visual drawings that this incredible artist that we have named Griffin made all these incredible, just hand-drawn pieces for the, for the thing bunch of new bunch of renders in in unreal engine and and th using 3d and green screen compositing 
and, mm-hmm. and visualizing and trying the, with the goal of the show being we love playing Dungeons and Dragons. We have a ton of fun with it as friends. What, how can we give viewers that same experience? How close can we get? And this is something where like eventually a virtual reality environment would be super useful for this storytelling. And that's the mm. stuff that interests me is it's like, how do we utilize that technology to allow us to better tell a story? People want to be entertained, right? But like, wh- how do we do that? And so to me, that's like where those two things connect mm. is like, you know, cause, cause now we're on season two. We had season one was way more successful than we thought it was going to be, honestly. Well, so what percentage of your subscribers ended up joining? Was it half a percent, full percent? So we had a huge influx of subs when when this show came out. Um, mm-hmm. it, it more than paid for the show. You know, some of them stayed, some of them didn't. Uh, but bottom line is we've been able to take our baseline subscriber base with when it comes to the overall website. Mm-hmm. And now that's bringing in more per month than it was before that show was released, which now is allowing us to do a second season of that show. Nico and I are trying to figure out how to do an action movie with all these stunt guys that we've been working with. Oh man, everyone's so like, we've got a great network of stunt people right now. And they're all just so eager to just dig in on something that's just like independent and, and fun. And so we're trying to put that together that that would have never been possible before the site. It would have been a pipe dream. Um, And now with season two of Son of a Dungeon, we're taking all the lessons that we learned from season one and we're trying to improve the visual quality, the storytelling, the editing, the music, like building out this library so that each season just gets a little bit better understanding the technology we had, the mistakes, the things that worked, the overall story. So that because this show, I mean, this, we could content, potentially continue to make this show for as long as people will want to watch it. And as we go into the future here, the next 10 years, like the technology that we were just talking about is going to become more and more easily accessible. You're going to be able to plug it into more and more different platforms. And if we can access that and get those stories on there, you know, then it's just like it's just more people who can access the story. And we try to make sure that like the stories themselves, you know. They've got ups and downs. They've it's it's a ride, you know. It's a it's nine hours of narrative season two, so it's a it's a full blown narrative. Wow, that's amazing! And you've built up, um, you know, subscribers just to basically sustain and making sure that you can afford making this other content and right. to do it in, in in a way that you want to do it, not necessarily in a way that's going to be most effective on, on on with the algorithms. Yeah, that's the other nice thing about it is is like. We have all these lessons. I, I'm very thankful for those algorithms because they mm-hmm. teach us a lot. You know, I'm saying I'm scared of knowing heartbeat and stuff like that, but honestly, <laughs> the data is kind of like that already. Yeah. Um, and and that data has taught us so much about how to be a better storyteller. And I think to me, as the producer, as a creator, that's the real value of that data. Is it's like, well, you understand that this when this happened people reacted like this, or there was higher attention here, or this video with this title and thumbnail seemed to do better than this one. Why is that? You know, and it's like, well, this hits on more emotional drama. This one has this, this one has this payoff. This Mm -hmm. one has this sort of unique set of circumstances that aren't presented being presented right now. Like any one of those things could matter. And the more data you have, obviously the better um, you can, the more effective you can be as a storyteller. No, that's great. And so this empowers you to get more data and yeah. and 
Yeah, and, and and cater it to. I mean, because in this case, you own the platform. You own. Yeah, all well, the we platform. right now we actually have less data because just it's it's <laughs> really hard to build those tools, and we're working on it with a tiny team. But yeah, well, I think there's going to be a lot of companies that surface that are going to empower creators to have their own platforms and to own their own data. And yeah. and I think there's going to be a lot of leveling up, and there's going to be a lot of altruism um, when it comes to you know building tech in the for for future for for the um, um, future and media. Mm-hmm. Now you know, so thank you for you know sharing that. Um, you know, it, it's it's probably one of those things that's going to inspire a lot of creators to want to launch their own platform and then figure out how to monetize it so they can you know invest in data scientists and engineers. Um, and in product people to make sure that just like with meta or uh, or yeah. youtube it continually evolves to to what your audience wants um uh, but but it, it gives you the control to really connect to your audience and own that data and again to build that type of infrastructure i totally understand you know i have oh, man. a pretty large tech <laughs> team and yeah. investing and roadmaps and in technology to make sure that you're not only gathering data, but you have a really good user experience, you know, that can be very complicated. I am Um, learning all of that right now. You know, we should, (laughs) we should sit down aside from this podcast and you can just teach me maybe a bit more because I am like a, you know, I'm a young Fox in the woods right now. I don't know where I am. I'm just trying to figure stuff out as I go. Um, And thankfully, because, well, the thing is, is our business model has always been like, well, are you, are you making more than what it's costing you? Right? Like very (laughs) fundamental economics 101. And when it comes to these types of add-ons, you know, with respect to like data science and things like that, it's oftentimes very intangible and the people are very expensive. So, you know, as a small business, we're like, man, I don't, I, we have to be very selective about when we pick and choose those types of people to come on um, because, well, you know, what we'll do, what I'll do is I'll, I'll definitely schedule a meeting with our um, data um, insights and AI oh, man. team. Yeah. And, that'd be amazing. We can like do a brainstorm of like, you know, where you are now, where you, where you can go in the future. Uh, anything yeah. we can do to help um, empower the creator economy and creators, you know, we, we want to do that. Um, and, and, you know, this actually would give us context of, how we can be helpful if there ends up being a huge decentralization of platforms in the future. And so we should definitely yeah. talk. Um, let's talk about like NFTs. Can you just like okay. give a quick, um, you know, summary or story of what happened with um, your team <laughs> and Beeple? Cause I, I, I believe it's Ren. I saw yeah. Ren on a Beeple NFT, I think mm-hmm. a year ago. Uh, yeah. It's Peter. Peter is on a Beeple NFT. Um, so uh what what happened? Well, 2019 um Sam and Nico were like, "Hey, there's this uh guy we've been chatting with on Instagram or whatever. He's uh he he he's he does one render a day and he's been doing one render a day for the last 12 years. And and he wants to come in and just, you know, crack jokes and we'll do a render together." And I was like, "Dude, that sounds amazing. I don't know who this guy is, but I got to meet him." Um, and you know, he comes in and he's this, like, you get why they call him Beeple because he, he, he talks, he puts sailors to shame with his, uh, you know, with his language. Um, and, uh, but he was a hilarious guy. Um, you know, he, I think he gets, I don't, I I don't think people often know how to, how to like 
understand him, but he's actually a wonderful person. Uh, he's hilarious to be around. He's super nice. He's like, he's given a ton of money to charity. Um, and so he came in, we did this thing with him. It was great. You know, we challenged him to a render challenge. He smoked us. Uh, you know, we were making fun of every, everyone was making fun of each other the whole way along. And then, uh, you know, boom, uh, that was, that was the experience. And it was like people fun meeting you. And then a year later, um, he hits us up and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing these, uh, NFTs. Um, you know, uh, I just put one out there and, uh, over the weekend, uh, it, it got, it's, it sold $3 million of uh, wow. Ethereum. And we're like, we're like, what? Uh, you know, um, and obviously his circumstances for where he is as an artist and like all that stuff that really matters when it comes to like high value art, mm-hmm. he checks all those boxes, right? Like been doing this independent thing for years, like totally original style, very cutting edge and, and like, uh, you know, like, um, risque. Sure. You know, like he'll, he'll, he'll do anything. He'll do art about anything. And I do mean anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so people like that, right? Because it's like very raw and visceral and real and it's like beautiful. And it's like, you know, he's, that's, that is his thing. He's been dedicated to it for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, let me come in again. We'll do another, we'll do another piece. Um, and we're like, okay, let's do another render. But he had just done the like three and a half million dollar weekend that was <laughs> was like ended up being like the small one you know until he did the christie's auction which everyone knows him for which is the 69 million dollar sale at the christie's mm-hmm. auction of his mm-hmm. first five thousand images from his 12 years of daily renders um but we didn't want to take advantage of that we we, we yeah. said like look man you know like we want to do a piece with you but we know that if we do a piece with you and then it sells it's probably going to sell for a ton right now it just like I don't know. You know, it seems like we're riding on your name and like what we want to do is just like do something cool together right now. So mm-hmm. let's, let's donate the money to charity and we'll just have fun with it and we'll do it together. And that's exactly what we did. He did, he was, we, we did, we split up into teams. It was a render challenge. Everyone had like two hours to do it before they had to like pull the USB from mm-hmm. the computer and throw it in the suitcase uh-huh. and him and peter uh did this really funny render called the goat uh where it's a goat and it's got people's face and then peter's on top of it with like a <laughs> like a miniature ape like peter is on top of it with the reins and stuff um <laughs> and he put the little quarter digital logo in it and man it did great it sold for uh 333 ethereum um whoa yeah what did that, e- what did that equal to at the time well, at the time, it equaled uh, like five hundred plus thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, if we would have held it for another month, <laughs> it would have been double that. Um, but that, <laughs> so that all right. went to charity, right? Yes, exactly. So that, yeah, we 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 so we sold it off and uh, and we donated it to Direct Relief. Wow! Wow! And then, I mean, ha- have you and the team focused on NFTs since? Uh, yeah, we've done a few others. We did a we did an anime batch of all the like anime um, uh, pieces that we've done uh, with like little baseball cards, three D baseball cards. That was really mm-hmm. fun. Um, and then we did one uh, called uh, the Viral Decade. That one did pretty well. Uh, we each each artist in our studio did like an homage to their favorite viral piece that we've mm-hmm. done out of the last ten years. Um, and, and, and obviously those ones, you know, we were doing for sale, uh, and, and that did bring in, um, uh, decent money to the business. And, and not only that, but it was like a great way for 
some people to, to that we might not have otherwise engaged with to like be amped about about what we're doing and for us to like really reconceptualize our output and say like okay yeah we know you know the video world is one thing but the nft world is totally different how do we make something that's cool and that's an artistic challenge which is fun mm -hmm. is it's like how do you make something that's going to connect with people in this world um because you know mm -hmm. as an artist you always want to be making sure you're not getting too comfortable mm -hmm. um and, and and i think i believe in setting up our production around that idea as well and making sure that like we're constantly finding a new way to like learn something new, learn a new platform, learn a new distribution. Um, so we've done those, uh, and we're actually uh, trying to set up another one, um, for the end of April here oh, with great. Maker's Place. Yeah. Um, so, so, so just NFT having fun with it now. It'll be a part of your business plan and then what, and what you all do. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then we're also, uh, trying to figure out the best way to accept, um, crypto as a form of mm -hmm. payment. Um, on our on corridor digital um, so we're very much like you know uh, like hey look this is a useful technology that's now available to you how are you utilizing it you know and, and so to me i'm more of like i'm trying to pick and choose like where things have stabilized a bit um mm -hmm. so that so that we can utilize it but there's also a little fun as long as you're playing in the early space and not like betting your company on this future space you know uh, <laughs> big difference <laughs> yeah no there's a, there's a lot of experimentation that needs to happen as you innovate and you, yeah. you can't ever you know put all your eggs in one basket um i think that's it's a really good you know that's a good principle in investing as well as in you know building a business make sure you have enough data you know to you know yes um, make it in an accurate you know, a calculated decision right um where I get excited around NFTs, you know, we talked about, you know, quarterdigital.com or, yeah. or The Chosen, where we did a crowdfund yeah. and, and, you know, we did a public, you know, filing with the SEC. You know, that could have been, you know, one of those things that could have been way easier if, you know, we could have fractioned an NFT or, you know, created right. a series where, you know, 16,000 or 100,000 people could invest in that same series. And as mm -hmm. that series, become successful everyone benefits that has ownership in it i'm i'm and, amped about that possibility mm -hmm. like yeah the, the the we were approached um i don't know if i could say who but we were approached to to talk about like a, a new way to fraction and offer videos mm -hmm. and i'm really excited that that technology is there because i could see it being really cool for a crowd's a crowd funded piece of content to but, come but, out. Is, but is it is it still a gray area now i i ask you this and we haven't been able to go into your background jake but jake you know <laughs> you're a lawyer and <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and yeah, you of lesser school. known talents yeah it's one of your lesser known talents but you know it, it, it makes i mean it's really helped corridor digital a ton with yeah. you you know not just being the people manager but also making sure that everything you're doing you know, is the right way. And, and, and you, you do all the legalese. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you see that? I mean, this new technology that you're talking about being a gray area with the SEC, because it seems like the SEC is against fractioning of, um, I guess, artistic assets through um, blockchain. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they really get a say. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they're, you know, like we're gonna do it before they even know how to. And again, it's a whole thing. Like the the, the it's it's a funny I, thing. I, with I guess the you law. could do it through DAOs too, right? Yeah, 
yeah, the, the it's a funny thing with the law and that it's always it's always trying to keep up, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the law is structured around humans, human ideas yeah. and human human culture. And and there are certain like ancient laws, you know, that exist mm-hmm. before humans could even speak and things like mm-hmm. that. But like, you know, um, the, the technology is, is there. Yeah. And so if people are able to do it and, and, and a group of people can get together and say like, look, let's let's blockchain this out. Let's fraction this out. You get this, you get minutes here to here, you get minutes here to here to together. We collectively own this asset. Somebody wants to purchase this asset from us in this medium that we've chosen to have be the value medium, mm-hmm. you know, then you can do that. And, and, you know, they're, they're working on it right now. I was telling you about the, the K2s and K3 filings and things like that. So there's some new tax mm-hmm. filings this year where you're supposed to report how much cryptocurrency you have mm-hmm. and are holding even though it's not taxable because what are they doing they're trying to get a feel for how how much of this exists in the hands <laughs> of the american public so that we know and, and, and this is exactly what they should be doing i'm not saying mm-hmm. they shouldn't like their responsibility sure. is to maintain stability in financial markets um mm-hmm. through law uh so they're doing exactly what they should be doing but you know, to, to, to look to them for guidance on what we should do when the technology is so far from their normal medium of operation that it's almost just like, well, let's figure out ways to stabilize it. And then, you know, their application of how they eventually tax it and, and keep track of it will sort of follow suit. Mm, um, yeah. But whether or not people can, you know, I'm sure they're not happy about it because it's it's kind of a way right now to skirt around sec regulations and i'm sure there are people who are utilizing it for that and obviously you know that's got inherent problems um but yeah well the 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 crypto community should like take all that money and start investing in lobbyists so we can have even more possibilities and uh, because i i get really excited about the fraction and i think that's where we can truly empower creators you know to own their content to be protected um as well as you know owning their own data and and I mean, you're empowering both consumers and creators at the same time. And I, I see a day where a J.J. Abrams or a Christopher Nolan or a Cordor Digital can say, you know what, we're going to do Spider-Man the right way. And yeah. we're going to, you know, really do it in a way where we don't have to worry about a, 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 a small committee at a studio that's going to approve it or not. We're going to mm-hmm. go and do it, find an audience that wants to invest in it and, and, and make it happen. And, you know raise hundreds of millions and maybe make billions as a result of that. I think that's what's going to happen in, in the creator community. I, we're, we're truly seeing the era of the artist. And I think this is the direction where things are going. Yeah. Keeping the, keeping the money in the hands of the people who are the consumers of the art mm-hmm. uh, to me is like, you know, I, I understand why it didn't happen that way in the past, um, you know, uh, traditional mediums and so forth but like mm-hmm. with the with the ability of well it goes back to kingdoms right know, central yes, it does. central right. authority <laughs> yes and and so and so that's incredibly scary to central authority mm-hmm. um for obvious reasons to them from their perspective but mm-hmm. you know from from the the thing is it's one of the things that makes and this isn't just true for america but i think it's especially true for america um one of the things that has allowed the sort of like health of the, the bounty of ideas to mm-hmm. come out of this nation has been because of that decentralization of 
and the decentralization, what does that do? It gives every person access at some mm-hmm. level. Now that obviously that has, levels the playing field. Yes. And, and, and it makes it so people can, you know, be in control and stay in control. Right. And so, you know, there's no one like solution, I don't think, to to like, you know, building a better world in that sense. But I do think, you know, at least in the artistic world, you know, uh, that was YouTube was a rudimentary version of that when we mm-hmm. first started. It was yes. a, it was a it was a rough like, hey, look, anybody can upload what anyone can upload. Mm-hmm. You mean like <laughs> me? And that was the that was the beauty of it. And now if you can find a way to say like, look, anyone can create and then monetize and not monetize through, but monetize to mm-hmm. whoever is purchasing it. Man, that's beautiful stuff right there. Like it, it, it allows people to go about it in a way that hasn't been possible before. Um, so there's definitely value there. Um, yeah. And I, I'm excited to like figure out how we can fit it into the structure. Yeah, you know, we're really excited. And, and as a business, you know, I run TubeBuddy and Ben Group. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to NFTs and like this, you know, you know, new wave of decentralization of content and art and art empowerment, you know, I've told our data and AI teams to just, you know, um, data gather. Let's see if there's ways to model this, because where we've been very successful as a business is that we've been able to predict um, the new pilots that are going to be the most successful. You know, in the, in the awesome. last three years, we've been able to predict um, eight of the top 10 new TV pilots. Um, um, our AI wow. is 25% more accurate when it comes to predicting um, viewership than our expert humans. Really? And that's a big deal because that's a sign of scale. And that's one of the reasons why God, we doubled I love size. that. I love that about AI. It's well, so... we, we doubled our team last year because we can now take people that have no experience to come in leverage our AI platform and be able to make predictions on what content's going to win versus what content is maybe going to have less of an impact. And that yeah. goes down to lower funnel metrics as well. You know, when it comes to clicks, uh, it's yeah. 11% more um, effective than humans at clicks. And then it's also much more effective as you can train it with conversion data to be able to predict which creators are going to convert. Well, we own two buddy and we're taking that right. same technology. So creators can predict how much viewership they're going to get, how much money they're going to make, um, you know, how can they get more clicks to their website or let's say digital.com so they can better monetize and yeah. predict their, 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 their monetization. Well, I look at what we've been able to do with computer vision and NLP and all the different features that we leverage, um, um, yeah. or tactics that we leverage when it comes to AI. And I look at NFTs. Well, us looking at unstructured data, like the actual visuals um, of the content and, you know, the groups of texts and the audio, that's what moves the needle forward when making predictions of engagements. So clicks or conversions. Mm-hmm. And so we already have the technology, but we're going to wait for things to stabilize and see, is it possible on behalf of creators to predict how successful their NFT is going to be, not only based on their size of audience and all the metadata, but yeah. also based on the actual visuals and, and, and content that they create. Um, the technology is there to do that as well. Um, um, but, you know, before we jump in and like, you know, put our, all of our eggs in one basket, you know, it's one of those things that we want to see, you know, you know stabilize. Um, right. and, and, and it's going to be data and, and, and AI that's going to make it so creators 
with their not just their own content, but also you know with these new you know forms of content like NFTs, will be able to truly you know take out the guesswork and make predictions that help them you know um, calculate risk versus reward. That's amazing. I mean that that is like. Yeah, that is exactly what we've been trying to crack. And obviously, AI isn't perfect at it either. But the fact mm -hmm. that it can do it more efficiently and more quickly is an incredible tool. Because like that's mm -hmm. one thing that right now we have this feature called the green light feature on the site where people mm -hmm. earn earn points through their subscription, and then they can put those into projects that we would like to make. And so it's sort of this like co voting system where we put out a project idea, and then depending on how quickly people vote on it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that'll tell us whether or not people want it. Um, and it's also a way to engage the subscriber, but to be able to do that more effect, more effectively with AI, I think is, uh, is an awesome tool and obviously yeah. to do it across other platforms too. I mean, not just our yeah. own. Well, 100% and build it just, you know, it, it's impossible for humans to be able to watch a video and correlate that video or find causations around that video, um, with, um, tens of thousands of other videos. Our, right. our brain just don't do work to that, that? magnitude. Yeah. Uh, we right. can't we, we can't process that many things. But AI can literally look at a video, dissect it, and then yeah. analyze a million other videos within seconds. Um, um, that, that can be the data to to let you know how successful that video is going to be, or you know, if there's improvements that need to be made. And so, contextualization of content. Yeah. with impacts outside of the platform where you create that content, I believe is the next wave of innovation um, in yeah. the creator economy and, and, and the creator ecosystem. Um, oh, I think you're right about that, my friend. You think yeah, you're well, very so, right about that. Well, no, and, and, and you know, um, we could go on for hours about this. And I, <laughs> I've taken a lot of your time here, Jake. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you know, we run and, 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 and own um, the, the TubeBuddy um, platform yeah. where we help over 9 million creators um, be data driven and growing their audience and their revenue. Um, yeah. and specifically, um, you know, it's, it's been very strong with YouTube and we're obviously going cross platform with this. Yeah. Um, with those, um, two buddy creators, um, a lot of them are just getting started. A lot of them are, are, are micro creators, um, yeah. and, and trying to, you know, make a living and, and build a career out of this. What advice would you give these two buddy creators? Well, um, there's two things really, uh, consistency and niche. Um, and that doesn't really matter the platform. Um, but y y consistency niche and what makes it special. Um, like those are the three questions we always ask ourselves too. So, you know, it's, it's hard enough to just make a video once a week or every day or whatever mm -hmm. your, you know, whatever your format is. Well, once you have that, you can't have the two other things without consistency. That's the first thing. Because if you're not consistent, you can't build upon good habits and get rid of bad habits. Um, and then niche, you know, figure out who who's who's originally watching your videos. Like, where 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 are they? What, why are they watching your video? Are they watching your video because they just want to see how someone changes oil on a car? Are they watching their video? Are they watching your video for you? Mm -hmm. You know, um, what's and know the difference. And then and then uh, you know what makes your video special what why we, we call this an art it's mm -hmm. called a raison d'etre which <laughs> is french for what the reason to be like why does it exist and, and what about it makes it a better execution of that idea 
than what people would otherwise have access to. So if you want to make a video about, you know, uh, green, green cups, like the one I have in my hand, what about your video is attractive to people? Uh, and, and why is your execution of the idea better than other people's? Um, and those are the more intangibles. Uh, but if you have the consistency and you have the niche and you can build the audience from the niche, then you can keep people coming back and then you can become, you know, a source of authority on a topic. I mean, look at v VFX artists react. It's like, mm -hmm. obviously it's our most successful show. Um, but because we had those things in line, uh, now we were able to get guests like Seth Rogen and, and, and let this mm -hmm. man who's already authority on this topic come in and not only speak to it from his perspective, but help further legitimize the, the show in general um, and, you know, keep moving it forward and keep it fresh. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's great. That's, that's great um, insight, you know, consistency niche uh, or niche um, yeah. and, and what makes it different uh, yeah. or what makes it special. Um, yeah, you know, special. That, that, that's, that, that's amazing. And I, I think those are, you know, three principles that everyone, you know, should try to apply, you know, to their, their creator career careers. Yeah. Um, Jake, um, I hope that we get to see each other again soon. I miss yes. playing D and D with you, Sam and Nico. Um, I'm so glad we've never recorded those sessions because those would be R rated. Um, <laughs> those would definitely be R rated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, thank you so awesome. much for coming on. Uh, I oh, appreciate you know my your pleasure. friendship and and all the partnership that we've had in the past. And uh, let's, let's definitely connect again soon. And Everyone that tuned in, thank you so much. Go check out CorridorDigital.com. You should see this series, Son of a Dungeon. It's great, as well as check out all the other um, Corridor um, Digital um, series and channels. And um, again, please um, like and comment and, and subscribe um, to Creative Disruption. We have been very inconsistent. We're not following any of the rules of growing our audiences, <laughs> but this is one of those areas, those times where I just love to gather data and go yeah. deeper with the, with different creators and We'll have more coming out again soon.